Good morning, dear Renaissance Church. It is so good to be with you this morning. And I'd like us to think together this morning about the Holy Spirit. The Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God in three persons. That's the Christian way to speak about who God is. Every religion talks about God. Every religion says that God is this, but not that. And we as Christians say that God is one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we are pretty accustomed to talking about God in those ways for the most part. For example, we do often speak of God as Father. As taught by Jesus, we pray to God, our Father. And we see the different ways that the Bible speaks about God as a Father. Father of the fatherless and protector of the widows is God in his holy habitation. That's what Psalm 68 says. Or in Ephesians, it says, One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So we pray to and we talk about God the Father. We also speak about God the Son, Jesus Christ. When the angel comes to Mary to tell her that she'll be having this baby, the angel says, the child to be born to you will be holy, the Son of God. We're pretty accustomed to thinking about and talking about Jesus as God the Son. But God the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, not as much. We don't usually shine a light on the Spirit, and maybe that's because the Spirit doesn't shine a light on himself very much. One of the primary roles that the Holy Spirit has is to help us to look at and see Jesus. In the Gospel of John, we hear Jesus say, the Holy Spirit will glorify me. He will take what I've taught you and he'll help you to remember it. So maybe one of the reasons that we don't talk about the Holy Spirit all that much is because the Holy Spirit shines a light on Jesus, not himself. The Holy Spirit doesn't draw that much attention to himself. He puts the attention on Jesus. I've heard one writer call the Holy Spirit the shy member of the Trinity. I heard a sermon a really long time ago. You may not believe this, but it's true. I heard a sermon a long time ago that was entitled, The Holy Spirit, the Ed McMahon of the Trinity. For some of you who are a little younger, I might have to explain who Ed McMahon was. It's not really important enough to do. The main point is we don't talk about the Holy Spirit all that much. And sometimes we think of the Holy Spirit as kind of back there in the shadows. He gets the one who gets the least attention. But not only does the Holy Spirit get the least attention of all the members of the Trinity, he often gets isolated. The Holy Spirit gets designated to one part of the church. One particular part of the Christian church oftentimes sort of takes possession or thinks about them as particularly involved with the Holy Spirit. So you sometimes hear people say, well, is that a spirit-filled church? Or somebody say, well, we're a Holy Ghost church. Some of you know that there's one arm of the church that's called the Pentecostal church that places a special emphasis on the Spirit of God who came on Pentecost. So we may not talk about the Holy Spirit all that much. And sometimes the Spirit gets designated only to certain parts of the church. But when you look at what the scriptures say about the Holy Spirit, when you go to the Bible, you find the Holy Spirit is not shy. 
the Holy Spirit is not to be found in just some places or in some ways does the Holy Spirit work or in some people. Today, I want us to think about what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit. And the way I want us to do it is to focus on one of the most important and significant passages in all scripture. It's in Acts chapter two, that talks about a very special coming of the Holy Spirit to the church. I wanna give a little bit of background to the story of Acts two. So hang with me here. Here's what's going on in the book of Acts. The story that we're about to think about together takes place during a Jewish festival in Jerusalem, which was called Pentecost. And at the time of this celebration of Pentecost, Jesus had already been to the cross. He'd already been killed. He'd already been raised from the dead. And for 40 days, he'd been with his disciples. He'd been teaching them. He'd been encouraging them. And one of the last things that he said to them before he ascended into heaven, he said, I want you to stay here in Jerusalem and wait and I'm going to send to you the promise of my Father. I'm going to send you the power that you need. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. So this is the story we're going to look at. The disciples are waiting. They've heard about this promise of the coming of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is going to send the Spirit. So that's the story we're going to look at. One more thing about this story before we plunge in. The story that we're about to read together is meant to be paradigmatic for us. That's a big $25 word, but here's all that it means. The story of the coming of the Spirit in the book of Acts is not only an account of a historical event, it is that, but it's also paradigmatic, and that means that it's supposed to set a paradigm for us about how we understand and see the Spirit in our own lives. Renaissance, listen, here's what I'm concerned with for you. Here's what I'm excited about for each of you. I want you to be able to see the Spirit at work in your life. I want you to be able to see the Spirit who's doing great things in your church right now, and I know that he is. I want you, each one of you, whether you are a disciple of Jesus or not, listen, I want you to be able to see and recognize that the Holy Spirit is involved in your life and cares about you and loves you and is doing great things in your midst. That's what I mean when I use this big fancy word, paradigmatic. When we look at this story together, it's gonna to give us eyes to see the way that the Spirit is working in our lives now. That's what I care about most. Does that make sense? So here we go. What is this passage that we're about to look at? Tell us about the Holy Spirit. We're gonna go through it. And as we go through these verses, even as we begin to read them, I'm gonna be saying a little bit about each one of them. And I think you're gonna see where I'm headed. Here's how the story begins. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. They is those disciples. Remember, they're there waiting because Jesus says, wait here. I'm going to send the power of the Holy Spirit to you. So the day of Pentecost arrives and they're all together waiting and they're waiting in one place. Second verse. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house they were sitting in. Did the Holy Spirit fill part of the house that they were sitting in? No, not part of the house, the entire house. Now verse three. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Did the Spirit, represented by this fire, did it rest on a few of them? No, on each of them. Verse four. 
And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Did some of the believers have the ability then because the Spirit gave it to speak in these other languages and to tell the great works of God? No, all of them. Verse five. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout people from every nation under heaven. Maybe they're there for that big, that big festival that was going on in Pentecost. And now the disciples are out into the streets And at this sound, the multitude came together. Everybody comes. They want to figure this out. And they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing the disciples speak in his own language. Did some of the people hear those good words? No, all. So here's my point. You could probably see it coming. The Holy Spirit is not shy. And the Holy Spirit is not for some people. The work of the Holy Spirit is not partial not limited, not qualified, not restricted. The best way to describe the work of the Holy Spirit then and in our lives, the best way to think about who the Holy Spirit comes for and what he comes to do is given by Peter in the passage. And now this is the last verse we'll look at. Peter describes the coming of the Holy Spirit in this way. And in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on All, all. The Holy Spirit comes for all. And that is the word that sums up so much of who the Holy Spirit is and what he does. And it is a word that I think can help all of us understand and have eyes to see what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives and in this world. And the word is all. So my sermon today only has one point. That point is all. And I learned that from my preaching professor, the same preaching professor that Christian had at Princeton Seminary, the Reverend Dr. Cleophas J. LaRue. He said to me, Vito, don't preach a three-point sermon. Vito, don't preach a two-point sermon. You're supposed to preach a one-point sermon. So that's what I'm going to do. And how could I not do that? He's the Reverend Dr. Cleophas J. LaRue of Princeton Seminary. He must know what he's talking about. So I'm going to preach a one-point sermon, and the one point is all, but I'm not going to do that just because Dr. LaRue told us to. I want my sermon to be in line with what the Bible says. I want every sermon that I preach to be biblical. And you just saw what the Bible says about the Spirit. The Spirit doesn't come for some. The Spirit isn't partial. The Spirit doesn't sort of zero in on a few folks. The Spirit falls on all. Now, I'm using this word fall. Let me me try to address that a little bit, too. When I say the Spirit falls on all, I don't mean like falling over like you see some people do in a religious meeting. I'm using the word fall because the Bible speaks about the Holy Spirit an awful lot in water imagery. It uses a lot of imagery about the Spirit coming to us and falling on us using water imagery. So sometimes the Spirit is pictured as a kind of a rain that falls down and causes things to grow. Maybe some of you have heard of the fruits of the Spirit. The Spirit falls down on us so that these fruits of peace and love and joy and patience and self-control and kindness and gentleness can grow in us. That's what I mean when I say fall. I don't mean anything religious. The Bible says that the Spirit falls on us like water and washes away every stain and every mark. I don't mean anything strange. 
I mean that when the Spirit falls on us, it washes us clean and helps us to grow. And the Bible says when it falls, the Holy Spirit falls, he falls on all. The Almighty God gives us the Holy Spirit. He falls on all and no one is exempt and no place is exempt. That's my one point. And here it comes. The Holy Spirit falls on all. First is he falls in all places. I said we were going to quit looking at the scripture verses particularly. I fibbed to you a little bit. I forgot. Let's take a look at verse 2. And we can see here that the Holy Spirit falls in all places. Check this out. Verse 2. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Listen. First we see that the Spirit falls in the entire house. The disciples are in this house. And they are there doing what any group of disciples do. They are singing, and they are worshiping, and they are worrying and they are praising, and they are encouraging one another, and they're trying to figure it out. And you could kind of think of that room that they were in, that house, as like a church. You could think of it like a church building, like the church building that Renaissance now gets to have, that you all there are coming to gather, and you're gathering there to worship and to praise, and you're worried, and you're encouraged, and you're bringing your whole life there to share it with one another. And the Bible says that when the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit fills the entire house, which is to say that the Holy Spirit fills the entire church. And that means some important things. Listen, first, this means that the Holy Spirit falls on every person at Renaissance. Every person. The Holy Spirit doesn't just fall on the pastors and the leaders and the elders, but not so much on the quieter folks or the newer folks or the folks who feel kind of messed up. No, no. The Holy Spirit falls on all. And for those of you who feel a little bit to the side, like you don't have much to contribute, no, that's not true. And it's not true because the Holy Spirit falls on all. He's working through all of us. And so here's a special word I want to have for the leaders of Renaissance, the pastors and the elders. You should seek out the voices of the folks who maybe aren't seen as much. Maybe folks are a little bit on the margin. Maybe people that you wouldn't quite think to listen to. But those are the folks that just as much as anyone, the Holy Spirit is speaking through them and working through them because the Spirit falls on all. Here's another ramification of that. The Holy Spirit falls in every part of the church. So that means out beyond the walls of Renaissance, every church, the Spirit is falling on and working on and nurturing and nourishing folks in the Catholic Church and the Pentecostal Church and on churches that are what you might call more conservative than Renaissance and on churches that you might say are more liberal than Renaissance. And some of us might be a little bit a little bit worried to hear that. Folks that are more liberal, uh, folks that are more conservative, huh? But the Spirit falls on all. We are meant to be knit together in a body, the body of Christ. And the Spirit wants to draw us all together. So the Holy Spirit falls on all in the church. But what about outside of the church? Well, You heard the story. It falls on those outside of the church too because if you'll remember, once the Spirit gets in the believers, 
that kind of drives them out. And they go out into the city and they start speaking and acting in the way of Jesus, the way of love. So the Holy Spirit never just stays in the churches. It can't stay in one room any more than if God placed in this room or the room that you're in, the mouth of a river and the river and the water began to gush out. You might close up the doors, you might lock the windows so that the water wouldn't get out, but you couldn't keep it from going out. You can't keep the Holy Spirit from going out into the world. The Spirit falls in all places. Now, you and I probably have places that are kind of special to us. We might think that the Holy Spirit can be found especially in some places. Maybe we wouldn't say that out loud, but we might think that the Holy Spirit is more likely to be in some places and not as likely in others. We all think that it's natural. I know that for me, I live in New York City. I love the churches of New York City. And in some ways, some of those places feel sort of holy to me. The big cathedrals, I love to go in and sit in that quiet. The little storefront churches, I always try the door. I want to go in and maybe go in there to pray. Those places feel holy to me. They feel like the Spirit might be there a little bit more. And there might be places for you where it seems like somehow you can feel the Spirit in a particular way, a special way. Maybe it's a vacation home. Maybe it's a place that your family has traveled to. And it's okay to think that. We might also think that there are some places that the Spirit might not be. A place that doesn't feel as spiritual. Maybe it might be your workplace. Maybe it might be your car or the train that you commute in. And again, those inclinations are not bad things. But the truth is that the Holy Spirit is in all places. The Holy Spirit is at work when you're at work. You should expect that. The Holy Spirit is in your home, whether your home feels sort of empty and lonesome, or whether your home sometimes feels really crowded and it feels like you can't breathe. I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit is in all places. He is there to bring healing and wholeness. Wherever you are at, your eye should be trained to try to see him in these small ways. The Holy Spirit is at work in all places, the hospital, the subway car, the park, Expect God to be in places that you don't expect. You can even expect God to be in places that aren't even places. You know, Zoom isn't really a place. It's a virtual place. It's not a place, even though we've been spending a lot of time there. But listen, the Holy Spirit is there. He's there to guide, to shape, to admonish, to encourage. A phone isn't really a place. Even though a lot of us spend a lot of time there, the Holy Spirit is there too. He can be present in your text messages. He can be present shaping in the way that you use your phone, guiding you into paths of wholeness and holiness. Because the truth is that the Holy Spirit brings the love and the truth of Jesus to all places. But even more important than the Spirit falling on all places the Holy Spirit falls on all people. There's this prophecy. I didn't read all of it. It comes from the book of Joel. But when Peter is asked, why are all these people running around? What is going on? He goes to the book of Joel. And in the book of Joel, it says that the Spirit falls on all, that the Spirit falls on the old and on the young, on men and on women that the Spirit falls on rich and poor. And this should help us to see how the Spirit is working in our midst. You should expect in the conversations that you have with even little children 
that the Spirit is inside of them and that the Spirit is seeking to serve you and to teach you and to encourage you, even through little children, even through little babies who maybe can't even speak. But it's even through little babies who can't speak that the Holy Spirit will be speaking. The Holy Spirit speaks through folks who are older. Sometimes the older you get in American society, people don't want to hear from you quite as much. Sometimes you might be pushed to the side. That's a mistake. It's a mistake because the Holy Spirit is at work. And those who are old, those who are older than us, we should expect in those conversations that the people that we have, that we know in our lives who are older than us, they're going to be speaking to us and the Holy Spirit is going to be in them. We should seek them out, the old and the young, so we can have the full breadth of God's beauty coming to us, the Holy Spirit speaking in the old and the young, also through men and through women. In that prophecy of Joel, it says that your women will prophesy. There are some people in the church, some of our brothers and sisters in the Church of Christ, who think that women shouldn't be pastors, that they shouldn't preach. Well, we're going to have to disagree with our brothers and sisters who believe that. Because it says here that our women will prophesy, and that shouldn't surprise us. Because women were the very first preachers of the gospel. Women were the ones to go and to proclaim the good news to the apostles. So men and women are filled up with the Holy Spirit, and they're going to be able to speak good news to one another. It's also rich and poor. Servants and those who are at the very highest levels. Think about the best restaurant that you've ever been to, the fanciest, most beautiful restaurant that you know. Picture it in your mind, and now picture the person doing the dishes in that restaurant. That person has been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is at work in that person's life. And the person that owns that restaurant, with all those great resources, the Holy Spirit is inside that person too. And we not only should expect to see the Holy Spirit at work in them, but sometimes the Holy Spirit even speaking to us through them as well. The Holy Spirit falls on all people. You can really notice that in that book of Acts passage where the people come out and they're able to speak in all of those different tongues, all those different nationalities that were there in Jerusalem. They are there to celebrate that festival and the disciples are able to go out and to proclaim the good news in all of those tongues, which tells us that the good news of Jesus, it doesn't have any national boundaries, no tribal boundaries. It means the Holy Spirit falls on all nationalities. The Christian faith knows no national or tribal boundaries. And that isn't necessarily true of all religions. In Islam, the holy book, the Quran, is not to be translated into any other language. It's only meant to be in Arabic. Not many tongues, one tongue. In Orthodox Judaism, the, the participation in Judaism is passed down blood lineage through the mother by blood relations. Not many tribes, one tribe. But Christianity knows no ethnic or racial or national boundaries. There's a lot of conversation. Is the United States a Christian country? That's kind of a complex question. I'm not exactly sure always how to answer that, but here's what I do know. I know that if you look in census reports of countries all around the world, the countries with the most number of Christians, and you see the top 10, do you know who's in that list? Brazil, Mexico, Russia, Nigeria, the Congo, and yes, the United States. But what you can see from that list is that there is no boundary, 
no racial or ethnic or tribal boundary, that the Spirit falls on all. You know, the Spirit even falls on people who are not religious, people who don't believe the right things. God the Holy Spirit falls on people who may not yet have faith in Jesus. And the Spirit comes to them not to make them religious, but here's what the Holy Spirit comes to do. To tell all people and to show them in word and in deed that God loves them and that he wants them to love him back. And listen now, for those of you who are followers of Jesus, and I don't assume that everybody listening or everybody there today, I don't assume that everybody is a Christian. But for those of you who are Christians, the idea, the truth, that the Spirit falls on all, it can help us to think about evangelism. Evangelism. That's a tough word for some of us. It's a scary word, but in this passage, which is meant to be for us paradigmatic, to show us how to live in step with the Spirit, evangelism is seen to be simply this. Listen now. Evangelism is simply loving people in the Spirit of Christ. It is like those disciples being driven by the Spirit to tell good news to people in the Spirit of Christ, being able to speak their language. Sometimes it's a different language, and sometimes it's just knowing how people might hear things. That's another way of speaking a language in the Spirit. It's reminding people that God loves them in the Spirit. Have you done that recently for somebody? It's such a simple thing to do, so simple that we forget to do it, to remind somebody who is a Christian or to remind somebody who is not a Christian that God loves them in Jesus and that he's made a decision about them a decision that they belong to him in love. Sometimes evangelism is simply just being patient with somebody in the spirit of Christ. In this difficult time that we've all been through, one way to show love is simply to be patient with somebody. There's a professor of theology in Czechoslovakia. His name is Thomas Halleck. Thomas Halleck is a pastor, but he wasn't always a Christian. He became a follower of Jesus when he was 18 after reading the works of G.K. Chesterton and also the novels of Graham Greene. When Thomas Halleck was in university, he studied sociology and philosophy. And when he got his doctoral degree, he was in school for quite a long time, he gave a speech that was deemed so subversive by the communist regime in Czechoslovakia at the time, this was in the 50s and 60s, that he was banned from teaching or holding any academic position. So you know what he did? He worked as a therapist for drug addicts and alcoholics. Thomas Halleck is a wonderful writer on the Christian faith. Here's one of my favorite quotes from him. This is why I brought him up. I want you to hear this. Thomas Halleck says this about patience. He says, patience with other people is love. Patience with yourself is hope. And patience with God is faith. Patience with others is love. Patience with yourself is hope. Patience with God is faith. It means that when you're patient with somebody else, you're showing them love. It means you're trusting that God is at work in their life, that the Holy Spirit falls on all. He's doing great things, and so you're going to be patient with them. It's a kind of love. When you're patient with yourself, and you should be, that's a kind of hope. That God is not finished with you yet. He's not. He's going to heal the wounds that you have. He's going to grow you up in the places you need to be. It's hope. It's hope not in yourself. It's hope in God. 
And patience with God is a kind of faith. Because sometimes God doesn't do the things that we want him to do. We see places in the world we wish he would heal. We see people that we want to come to know Jesus and they haven't yet. So we have to have faith and patience with God is faith. So the spirit falls on all. I'm bringing my sermon in here for a landing. The spirit falls on all and he is at work in every person that's hearing this. He's here now with you. He's here with me where I'm at. And you should keep an eye out for him. He is the Lord and he's the giver of life. And anything that happens in your life or in this world where life is abundant, where life begins to flourish, that's the Holy Spirit. So the next time that you're at the farmer's market and you see those tables groaning under the weight of all that fruit, you know how that fruit grew? The Holy Spirit. Or if you ever see a teacher or a volunteer helping a student to get better at math, or maybe sitting with a student and listening, patiently working with them, that's the Holy Spirit. Or if you yourself feel a desire to get to know God better, if you're wishing you could know him better and to know what he's doing in your life and you're just not sure how, even that you feel that, that's the Holy Spirit. He's at work in your life. And if you ever feel a desire to share God's love with somebody, that's the Holy Spirit. Here's how I'm gonna close. I'm gonna ask you to pray with me. And the prayer that I'm gonna pray is based on a passage from a book called On the Holy Spirit. It was written in 364 AD. The Holy Spirit has been at work for a long time. It was written by a man named Basil of Caesarea. And he wrote in great and beautiful ways about the Holy Spirit. And I've taken some of what he's written and I've made it into a prayer for us to close. So I'd like you to pray with me. You might wanna close your eyes if you like to pray that way. You might wanna keep them open if you'd like to pray that way too. But let's pray now to the Holy Spirit. Would you please pray with me? Dear Holy Spirit, through your help, hearts are lifted up. Dear Holy Spirit, by your strength, the weak are held by the hand. Dear Holy Spirit, when we feel like we're stagnant and we're not moving at all in life, you're the one who can carry us along. Would you please do that for us? Do that for the people who are hearing this, who need to be carried, who feel weak. We know that you can do that, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, just like when a sunbeam falls on our bodies and we become brilliant too, so when you shine upon us with the love of Christ, we are cleansed from every spot. Holy Spirit, when you shine on us, we become more ourselves and more of who you want us to be. But the truth is, Holy Spirit, that you love us just as we are. And for this, we thank you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.